I'm Susie Barry. I'm here with my husband and fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards. And this is Wine Blast. Welcome. Except this time, we're not just talking wine, we're also talking coffee. Coffee, which is a bit of a turn up for the books, isn't it? It is indeed. You haven't touched coffee for 30 years before we recorded this episode. <laughs> it's true. I mean, can that really be it true? It is true, it's true, it's true. I mean, what other massive secrets do you have? <laughs> you know, any other kind of long term abstentions we should know about? Well, um, actually, maybe thinking about it. Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Unless maybe it's about Viognier or something. It's true, though, too. It is a bit weird. I am a wine and tea girl at heart, but it was great to do something a bit different, mm. you know, be pushed mm. out of my comfort zone uh, and at the same time do a new kind of collaboration. Yeah, it was a fun collaboration. It wasn't was. It? it really we, was. I think we even managed to humiliate ourselves, which we is did. always nice. Yeah. In fact, this was what our co host had to say. Can I just say one thing? Man, you're cheap dates. No. Proud moments. Proud. <laughs> Let, let's not give too much away just yet. Let's <laughs> limit ourselves to saying we are very big fans of the mm. Adventures in Coffee podcast yeah, with its indeed. co-hosts Scott Bentley and Jules Walker plus producer James Harper, who we did this collaboration with. Yeah, but but, but before we get started, I, we do just want to share a message, don't we? Uh, we do. That we recently received from Paul in Wimbledon. Oh, hi, Peter and Susie. Just a quick message. Um, wife and I uh, bought one of your three packs from the Wine Society recently. Cracked open the first bottle last night. It was the Pinot Noir from Danbury Ridge. Absolutely fantastic wine. Um, just wanted to say how much we loved it. Really enjoyable bottle for a Saturday night in these stressful times. So great work and we can't wait to drink the uh, two sparklings keep up the good work with the podcast thanks cheers paul it mm. is so kind of you to support our big english wine adventure and thanks to all of you who have bought the wines mm. too all yeah, profits are you. going to to save our seas and our planet via the excellent work of the marine conservation society uh, the three packs who have now all sold out mm. from the the wine society but you can yeah. still get hold of our fabulous hampshire sparkling wines with their unique collector's items street art labels by Hendog. Um, they're on sale via Hattingley Valley from just £35 and we'll put the link on our show notes. Yeah, back to coffee then. Uh, this does tie in a bit with our previous podcast, doesn't it? Which was all about our favourite non-alcoholic cocktail. Um, mm. Equally, at this point, I just wanted to reassure you all, we are not losing the faith. <laughs> We're certainly not doing Try January. We just thought it might be a, sort of a good time to explore some non-wine subjects right now. Uh, and there is plenty of wine in this episode too, That's frankly. True. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. So, so to explain, the lovely guys at Adventures in Coffee got in touch because, um, well, when you think about it, there's a lot of common ground between coffee and wine. Mm. There's terroir, um, expensive products, complex processes, there's serving and storing etiquette, not to mention all round geekery, frankly. Why, why are you looking at me when you say that? that? <laughs> I'm not really a born geek, no, hands up, but, but there, are, um, there are plenty. They're also fun people, aren't they? So, so They so are lovely. We got to work and we quickly realised the best thing to do would be to get together and focus on a couple of the, the big questions like... Um, is expensive coffee and wine really worth it? How to get the biggest bang for your buck for, with, with both? Um, and also, what are we doing wrong in terms of storing our wine and our coffee? Yeah, and we, we thought a fun Probably. and and very honest way to go about this was to do a, a blind taste test for each mm. other. So we gave Scott and Jules wines at different prices to taste without them knowing what they were to see which they preferred and whether they could guess the right prices. Mm. Um, and then them doing the same to us with coffee, yeah. uh, throwing in a few top tips along the way didn't we oh, the pressure the pressure <laughs> the pressure i think it got to us we anyway, felt it um, we you know, felt it especially given that in the taste we knew 
there was a super expensive world champion, kind yeah. of highly revered coffee yeah. up against the cheap supermarket. I, mean, I don't drink this stuff. Um, it was, um, yeah, yeah. But then on the, on the flip side, you know, <laughs> we went with the Rioja angle, didn't we? We did. Um, so a five quid bottle from Tesco. Um, Vigny del Cura, wasn't it? That's right, Vigny del Cura, yeah, yeah. So a young sort of Hoven style. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we had the Marques de Riscal Reserva 2016. Which is uh, 13 99 from Majestic. Yeah, so that was our mid-price bottle for them. And then the expensive bottle was the Vigna Tondonia Reserva mm, 2009. Yum, yum. Yeah, yeah, that's about 30 quid from Majestic. Yeah, which um, was a real treat, wasn't it? It was, um, it really was. We'd like to say a big thank you to Majestic for providing those wines. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's important to say that this recording has obviously already gone out five well not obviously but it has already gone out via the Adventures in Coffee podcast feed with Scott and Jules introducing our encounter in their own unique way Mm. Um, now I don't want to preempt anything but this episode with us introducing could be described as our right to reply Um, and we'll come on to that in our comments after the recording that you are about to hear suffice it to say that you know in this episode we've got what we've got (laughs) we're just making excuses we've got jeopardy (laughs) we've got confessions we've got you know definitely humiliation definitely we're kind we even got the odd plastic beach ball (laughs) to liven things up and hopefully distract you Uh, we also hear from adventures in coffee producer james who'd flown all the way over from berlin to join in the fun Uh, and he was i think important to say vital in maintaining order and also being, being the voice of big brother in the yeah. recording yeah so you'll hear him so the, the recording took place um just so you know in a little back room at origin coffee roasters in southwark so thanks so much to them for, ho- for having us mm. um, and hopefully that just helps set the scene for what is now to follow hi guys hello peter hello hi. hello hello susie hello hello uh so should we introduce ourselves sounds great okay you go first my name's Scott Bentley. I am the founder of Cafe Magazine. And as Jules loves to point out, I'm an all-round coffee dork. Coffee dork. <laughs> Tell us about yourself, Peter. So I'm Peter Richards. I'm a master of wine. And I'm going to see your coffee dork. And I'm going to raise you a wine nerd. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jules, come on. Well, my name is Jules. Some people know me as Lady Velo on certain parts of the internet. Um, I'm very much your everyday coffee lover. And most people will also know me for being that woman who likes to ride bikes and talk about them. And then there's me. Yes. Oh, hello. Hello. Hello, Hello, Susie. I'm here too. Hello, Susie. I'm Susie, former actress, um, also wine, well, master of wine. Um, What I am, though, is a non-coffee drinker. So I I would say I haven't drunk coffee for probably a good 30 years. Wow. I'm not sure if this is where I tell you to get out (laughs) or or whether I say, good, another victim. (laughs) So in the same way that Susie, you know, hasn't touched coffee for 30 years, which you guys, I'm clearly seeing that you guys see that as a challenge. What about you guys with wine? Oh, I ha- ha- haven't touched the stuff. No, you I haven't completely t- never touched it. <laughs> Every Friday night. And- lies, lies. <laughs> but no, I'm not a wine expert in any way, shape or form. Susie, tell me, Oh, dear listener, actually, you know, why are we here? I mean, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you've bought the booze. But why are we here? Well, we're here. I mean, really, the idea here is, you know, there's quite a bit of crossover between coffee and wine. And what we thought was it would be great to kind of address the bigger questions or the the, the questions we get asked. You get asked, you guys get asked, we get asked 
all the time about either wine or coffee. So the first thing we thought we'd look at is what we might call the the sweet spot in terms of price versus quality. So, you know, from a wine point of view, what we're going to do is take a, a cheap wine, a moderately priced wine and a more expensive wine, give them to you guys, see what you think which do you prefer? You know, where does that sweet spot lie? How do I get the biggest bang for my buck when I'm buying this stuff? Absolutely. And I think there's very much that there for coffee too. So we'll do the same with coffee and see how you guys get on too. And finally, we might look at storage as well. How, how best to store your yes. wine or your coffee. Oh, yes. Mm. I'm yes. sure there are good ways and not such good ways. Yeah, we're going to share with you some terrible things we do with coffee. <laughs> so I, can, I can see you sweating already, aren't you? The panic. The it's, panic it's the espresso machines in this room that's making not, 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 not the rage that's kind of like boiling inside me. But do you know, guys, you know, my throat's quite dry. Do you need something to drink? I, I need something to drink. Let's we didn't want to say. We didn't want to push it on you too early, but let's, let's go. go. Let's go for it. Susie and Peter currently are, you know, like running around, pulling glasses and, and wine out of boxes and bags. Oh, I've been past my first glass of wine. Wine number one. So these um, wines are all Rioja. So they're all from the same region. They're all red wines. They're different price points. So we've got £5, we've got £13, we've got £30. But Maybe we should do uh, a little bit of a very, 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 very quick recap on how to taste wine. See, Scott and Jules, you're both automatically doing something which I always say to people. If you don't know anything about wine... The one thing you do is lift your glass up, tip it 45 degrees and just stare into it really hardly with a mixture of sort of anger, anger. rage, a bit of rage and a bit of kind of intrigue. Anyway, you do that in a, in a wine bar, people think that oh, this person knows their stuff. Or you do that at a dinner party and people, your host will think, oh my God, I've got to get the best wine out of my cellar because this person clearly knows what they're doing. I'm holding the stem here. You don't, you don't use a claw hands around the... Uh, around That's the absolutely... Bar. You're so right, Scott. So hold the stem literally because what you really want is the temperature the wine is in the glass. All that'll happen with your hand, depending on how hot your hot hands you've got, it'll warm up the wine. So you don't want to warm up the wine, particularly if it's white. This is red, but particularly if it's white. So the idea is that you just hold the stem so the wine stays that same temperature. So we've got this lovely wine in front of us. This is our first one. We've got three price points. So we've got £5, we've got £13, and the third wine is £30. But we haven't said which order we've given you them. So, so this is one of the wines. So it's either £5 or £13 or £30. So where's the cheap one? <laughs> We're not going to give you any clues. No, no, no. Where, where's, the, where's the cheap wine? You, the, the first yeah, sorry, one's a fiver. Sorry, we, we, we start with five. <laughs> hey there. So you haven't heard my voice yet. Uh, I'm James, the producer behind Adventures in Coffee, and I'm jumping in to let you in on a little secret, what Scott and Jules don't know. So the first wine they're tasting, this is the five-pound wine, the cheapest. Talk us through what you're tasting or what you're smelling. What are your impressions? I'm getting a little astringency, so it's a little bit drying. It tastes fruity to me. I'm not getting, it doesn't feel, for me, oaky. So it feels quite heavy. So I'm going to pour you the next wine now. Wine number two. We're still not telling you the prices. So for the £5 supermarket wine, Scott and Jules found it a little bit astringent, quite fruity, and not very oaky. And now they're going to taste the mid-price wine, £13 a bottle. You're going to hate what I'm going to say about this one. 
the aroma of this. It reminds me when I was a youngster, I would, would go down to the beach in Bournemouth and um, we, would, we would always go past the really cheap shop that would sell like all the inflatables and all the postcards. And this smells like the plastic blow-up balls that you used to get on the side of the thing. Wow, that's specific. There's a, there's a, there's a, was, was that a happy time for you, Scott? <laughs> it was an amazing time in my life. Okay, so we've got Isn't that wonderful, beach. though, about the way that these drinks can evoke very specific memories. I love um, the way you're taking that as a positive feature. <laughs> we need, what do you think, Jules? It doesn't smell as fruity as the first one. Mm-hmm. Leaving aside plastic beach balls, what, what do you smell? It's got more of a woody smell to me. Do you like that or not? I do. Of the two, this one feels less sweet and I feel like I prefer this one of the two that we've just tried. Absolutely, Jules. I definitely prefer this one. I think this one feels more refined. So the first one feels like if it was a painting, it was a big, thick brush stroke. Whereas this actually feels like it's a lot finer in its detail. It just has a, it has more of an elegance about it, I would say. The first one just felt a bit kind of like, boom. So Scott and Jules definitely prefer the mid-price wine, the 13-pound wine, over the five-pound supermarket wine. And that's because they found it less sweet and uh, more refined. Okay, now, here's the most expensive 30-pound wine. Yeah, okay, so here's wine number three. Now this one feels even woodier than the last one that I tried. Mm. And I'm not not getting lots of fruit. But I'm getting the fruit at the the end. Mm. I'm definitely getting more stringency with this one than the second one, but not as much as the first. So you've had all three wines. Which would you say is your favourite wine? One, two or three? It's three. I quite like three. Number one now feels like it was far too sweet and almost too light. It didn't feel like it had a lot going on with it. Two and three feel like they're a lot more complex to me. So the second question is, which one do you think is which in terms of price? I definitely think the first one was the five pound. Mm -hmm. The other two though, I'm not sure. Because it might just be that I've got a cheap palate. And Jules, you'll attest to that. Um, I think first one was five, second one was 30, third one was the mid-price 13. I think the first one was the five. I think the second one was the mid-price one. And the third one was the most expensive one of the three. Well, um, we can reveal that, um, Jules, you were right in terms of price. So the first one, which you both absolutely nailed, um, you knew it was the five pound. Can we, ju- one. can we just have a second to respect these guys' performance? Very good. Would you rather, actually, given the price point, would you rather just buy wine two? I think I would be very happy with wine two. Mm. And is wine three worth the extra seventeen or whatever pounds? Probably not, in my opinion. But I don't understand it enough to warrant that. That's very fairly said, because I think really to get the most out of that £30 wine, which is a really complex wine, you need to understand it. You need to understand the context of Rioja, what they're trying to do in that Rioja, how that wine has been made and why, therefore, it should be worth this. Now, um, the first wine we tried was is a, is a young Hoven Rioja. So you make it, you pump it out, you, you don't age it and you get it out. You know, they've kept as much sweet fruit as they can or ripe fruit as they can to make it 
easy, easy drinking. It's bold, but it's quite simple. There's not much extra stuff going on there. You just get that whack of fruit and then that's it, which is fine if that's what you like. But, but let's, let's look at price in a different way. It's a five-pound bottle. Now, if you look at how much wine you actually get in a five-pound bottle, it's about 25 pence worth of wine wow. in a five-pound bottle. If you go up, for example, to 20 pounds a bottle, mm. you would imagine that's four times as much you're paying for the wine. Surely you get a pound's worth of wine. In a 20-pound bottle you get approximately seven pounds worth of wine. So it's a huge difference. Just by paying that little bit more, what you're actually getting in terms of yield for the wine, the investment in the wine, the quality of the wine, therefore, is a huge amount more. Because it costs the same to to transport a cheap wine than an expensive wine. Exactly. Packaging might be a bit more expensive than an expensive wine, but your your duty's the same, you know, your logistics are the same. There's so much that is the same. But to go on from to to describe the differences between the wine, the first wine, very simple and fruity. The second wine we have, which is the £12.99, which is the Marquesta Riscal Rioja Reserva, 2016. So the first wine we had was a very young wine. 2020. Oh, wow, okay. Literally a year old. So it's, it's four years older, but that has it's been aged in oak barrels. And that's been kept in the winery for at least three, four years. So you think again about cost of tying up that amount of stock. Some of these Rioja wineries have thousands and thousands of barrels that they're keeping and aging the wine for you for when it's shipped, it's ready for you to drink. So there's another difference there, which is the age of the wine. The third wine is 2009. So again, that's... How old now? Do 12 the maths. years old. 12, 12 years, years old, so, yeah. You know, you're paying for a bit of age there. What happens with, as a wine ages, it tends to, fruit tends to drop out and you get much more of these, what's called secondary or tertiary characteristics, like wood, like wood smoke, mushroomy, earthy, uh, the fruit, beca- tobacco, the cedar, the fruit becomes sort of dried fruit, but it's much less primary. Now, that's up to you whether you like that or not. I feel we need to bring on the coffee. Mm. I might stop bouncing off the walls, though, because I genuinely haven't this, drunk coffee for about 30 years. So, um, 30 years? Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, so it's a long time. I just, I just don't drink coffee. Not for, not for reasons where I thought coffee was bad. Mm-hmm. So very briefly, um, I at one point went to the doctor's, had high cholesterol. And at that time, I wasn't a big coffee drinker. But what I would drink is a tiny bit of coffee from Starbucks with loads and loads of, of full fat milk in it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if I cut out my coffees, I would probably be able to, I'm no scientific evidence behind this, I'd probably be able to lower my cholesterol. And so I sort of stopped drinking coffee and then just never went back to it. But never thought that your cholesterol had anything to do with the full fat milk. So in a way, yeah. Susie's yeah. coffee intake was actually more milk intake milk with milk. a tiny bit of coffee. <laughs> So, Scott, tell us what we're tasting in terms of the range of coffees. So, very much in the same vein as what you presented in in terms of the wine, I'm going to present to you three coffees. Now, this is filter coffee. This is black, so we have no sugar, no milk. They've been brewed as a filter coffee. It's coffee grounds with hot water through a paper filter. Now, I've got three coffees here. 
I'm going to give you um, one, which is a supermarket coffee. Now, this is priced at £3.50 for a bag, which I think is around 250 grams. So the second coffee is more expensive. This is going to be £9 for a bag of coffee. So this is a speciality coffee. This is from our friends here at Origin Coffee Roasters. Our third one is it's quite an expensive coffee. This is going to be £30 for a bag of coffee. It's not even the same size bag. It's like half the size, so 125 grams. What, what's interesting straight away, I know we, we, we've got the three coffees in front of us. We have no idea which is which. They are completely different colours. They are, So they? they go from a sort of a, 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 a mid, almost slightly ruby brown to a, a deeper, slightly what I'd describe as a nut brown to really dark. almost sort of in, Well, it's sort of brown black, isn't it? Come on, bring it on. Bring on the coffee. So Scott and Jules have just served Peter and Susie the first coffee in this tasting, and it is the mid-priced speciality coffee, £9 a bag. The colour is not dark and black ink. It's not light ruby brown, but it's the middle nut brown colour. Yeah, give it a sniff first. I get something a bit smoky there. Yeah, it's sort of a tiny bit of caramelisation. A little bit of sort of a tobacco scent. One of the things I think is really important to talk about is how we talk about coffee and how we talk about wine. Now, some of the words that we were using regarding the wine, if you use those words in coffee circles, there would often be negative words. Really? So if you were to say things like something tastes woody or something tastes tobacco-y or something like that, often within specialty coffee... They're not words that we prize. Okay, interesting. Now, it's not to say the coffees don't taste like that. Yeah. It's just that they're often not the words that we prize. What are the terms which are good? What, what, what do you look for in a good coffee? So within specialty coffee, what we generally are looking for are fruit, brightness, sweetness. What we're usually not looking for is things like smokiness, ashiness, woodiness. Um, We're looking for things which represent the fruit of the coffee bean. Often, what we were trying to do is preserve as much of the origin of the terroir. Fascinating. Okay, thank you. Okay, so um, with a filter coffee, I would love to put some milk in. Um, So that's the... Is that a bad thing? I don't know how good or bad that is. Dairy, Mm. from a a purist perspective, alters the flavour. And essentially what it does is it puts a blanket over the coffee. So it softens everything, which is really probably what a lot of people want when you're drinking an espresso. You want softness around the espresso because it's quite a tough drink to drink on its own. However, for myself, on filter coffee, you're right, it's more dilute, it's more subtle. I probably wouldn't want to put milk on that because it would soften it out too much and I would lose a lot of what I was there to drink. I'm smelling something slightly fruity now as well, actually. Um, It sort of just tastes like coffee. It doesn't get me terribly excited. It's fine. I wouldn't stop my lifetime of no coffee for this. It It doesn't convert me. Okay, so for the speciality coffee, the £9 per bag, Susie and Peter found it a bit smoky, tobacco-y, some caramelisation going on, some fruitiness towards the end. But Susie hasn't been convinced yet to embrace coffee again. For her, it just tasted like coffee. Now, they're going to try 
the £3.50 cheap supermarket coffee. Okay, so that's that's number one. Yes. Can we have number two, please? We can. We can. So now, how, how would you describe this in terms this of This was colour? the darkest one, wasn't it? I think this is what I'd describe as brown-black. This immediately smells more interesting to me. I get more of a slightly kind of licorice and a, a sort of a bitter chocolate smell. It seems more intense. The, the texture seems a little bit softer. It just seems to have a little bit more intensity and roundness oh, that's to it. And so maybe a little bit more, more intense. And, yeah. And, and, and there's, there's like a, um, I don't know whether this is the right terminology, but like a citric note to its bitterness that's kind of refreshing and bitter. I would rather drink that. Definitely. How are you feeling about these ones, Jules? The second one, a bit too intense mm. for me. So Peter and Susie definitely preferred the £3.50 supermarket coffee over the £9 speciality coffee. They liked the fact that it had a licorice and bitter chocolate flavour. It was quite intense, a little bit citric. But now, what are they going to think about the most expensive coffee? 30 quid for half a bag. So we've got number three here, palest in colour. It was pale, yeah. Hmm. Almost get a sort of herbal character, sort of green character from that one, aromatically. Something a bit odd as well. Oh, that both smells and tastes cheap. Because I got a slight whiff immediately of that slightly stale instant coffee jar. Am I getting this all wrong? I probably am. Oh, gosh. Initial impressions, that, that last one you served us, Scott, was the least likely for me to want to have some more. Mm, yeah. I really hope that's the cheapest stainless one. So my feeling is the third one definitely would be my least favourite. So I'm assuming that is maybe the cheapest one. Out of the first two, I appreciate both of them. Personally, given I would probably not have a coffee very often and I probably am looking for a little bit of extra coffee hit from it, I would probably go for number two as my choice and Peter, how do you feel in terms of preference? And then what are the price points? Yeah, I'm depressingly similar, I'm afraid. So Susie and Peter said they prefer the £3.50 supermarket coffee the most, followed by the £9 per bag speciality coffee. But they disliked the most the 30 quid coffee. Can I just say one thing? Man, you're cheap dates. No. No. <laughs> are we? <laughs> are we? Are you serious? What? Go on. The first coffee was our mid-priced coffee. Okay. Okay. Okay, so I think you, you basically kind of nailed that. Did we get those the wrong way around? Our middle coffee, number two, that you both loved, no. is £3.50. No. Oh, no. £3.50 coffee from the supermarket. Oh, my God. And the most expensive, the £30 coffee, is the one, the one that you dislike the most. Talk us through, what, what is that kind of funky flavour part of the appeal? So... The coffee you preferred was the second coffee, which was the cheap coffee. Thank you. Um, And I think the reason that you like this is because it has a structure Mm. and it's what you know. Mm. This is what Mm. you understand coffee to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is the same for many, many people. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think what the supermarkets do is they hit the nail on the head. They know what people want and they give it to them for a good price. My problem with coffee number two is that I believe this to be rather generic and I also believe there's very little nuance on this. I also believe that it's darkly roasted for consistency. Some of the things that um, both myself and also James kind of noted was that there are certain defects within that within that coffee. Right. 
And um, it's not always something which is really, really obvious. And I think one of the things that roasting a coffee darker tends to do is to make things taste a little bit more generic. So you, it's, it's more difficult to pick out those nuances because everything has sort of been flattened off. And so any, any sort of defects, any sort of nuance just gets kind of pushed down a bit. Number one, which I think was kind of both of yours second favourite, this is a good mid-price coffee. It's been well-sourced. Scott's referring to the nine pound per bag speciality coffee. This coffee would probably have been bought, the green coffee, the, the raw ingredients of it, would have probably been paid like five pounds a kilo for this coffee. The second coffee that you both like better. The three pound fifty supermarket coffee. That was probably a lot less. That was probably less than two pounds a kilo for the raw ingredients. But I think what we're really interested in here is why do you not like the third coffee? The really, really expensive coffee. From a panel of judges, like worldwide, super respected judges, this was the finest coffee to come out of Nicaragua in 2020. This is coffee that in the marketplace is highly, highly revered by coffee snobs because it's so different. But does different make it good? This is your decision to make. Do you like it? I do like it. How would you describe it? So this coffee specifically is a geisha varietal. So the bean is a different breed of bean, much in the way like a Cox's Pippin apple versus a Granny Smith apple. Or Merlot versus Cabernet Sauvignon. 100%. So this is essentially a geisha coffee. It's very difficult to grow. It's only grown at very high altitudes. It takes a lot of blood, sweat and tears to make this coffee. But this coffee often produces quite floral notes. You said herby, which is great because, yes, it does have herbal qualities to it. And for many people, this isn't coffee. For many people, this is more tea-like. Mm. But I think the thing is here, it's not what you expect. Yes. I think you've confounded our expectations. And our expectations are pretty basic. Uh, Susie hasn't drunk this stuff for a long time. I'm no expert. And I think absolutely the second coffee was just similar to what we were expecting. But I think, you know, it's like we could get you... you not we could get used to it, but we would probably get used to it. And we'd probably quickly get beyond number two and say, oh, I've had that so many times. It all tastes the same. Um, actually, I am looking for some nuance and some subtlety. Um, you know, I remember the first time that I was introduced to Earl Grey tea as opposed to, you know, builders. And it was a bit weird, you know, and it's a bit flowery. And you think, oh, I'm not sure about this. Now, you know, years later, I love Earl Grey. So I think it's a journey, isn't it? So I have a question in regards to storing wine. So we have a, a very old bottle of wine at home. Uh, we have a, a 1974 bottle of Barolo. Um, and Ian was given it on his 40th birthday seven years ago. And this is Ian, just sorry, just to clarify, Ian's your partner. He's my partner. Right. And um, I, I genuinely don't know if we've been storing it correctly. And... All we knew to do was put it in a dark place and somewhere that's not too cold and not too hot. Mm. So it has lived in a cupboard in our house 
lying down. It's like, was was that correct? We don't know. And then we got paranoid about keeping it in that cupboard. So we moved it to the drinks cabinet. Now it's standing up. And now we have this paranoia. It's it's not in anywhere that's like we don't have a temperature controlled room that it's in or anything like that at all. So, so I'm sensing, Jules, I'm sensing a lot of anxiety. Yes. Wine should never make you anxious. I think I think one of the things that's the hardest thing when you are given or you buy, and it's usually given a an amazing bottle of wine that you know has cost a lot of money. What do I do with it? And when do I drink it? When do we open that bottle of wine? Um, I would say that in terms of storage, you've done absolutely fine. If you know you're going to drink it, that's absolutely fine. An ideal, ideal world, you know, which none of us live in, would be to have it in a cellar at about 12 degrees C, at about 65% humidity, you know, and, and lying on its side, it doesn't have to be most people store their wine lying on the side. It's quite convenient. It doesn't have to be, as long as you're not somewhere where it's really dry, drying. So you're not, if you've got the humidity or you've got the, the cooler temperature, it'll be fine because the, the cork is not going to dry out. That's the only worry that the cork dries out and too much air gets in and oxidizes the wine. So on the whole, if you've left it standing up, it should be fine. Equally, if it's on its side, it would be fine. The question really is when you drink it, and you've got a, a Barola that's 1974 that is, you know, how old now? 46, 47 Four, years 47 old. 47 years old. And, and how long have you had this, Jules? It's been seven years. Seven years. Seven away. years. Can and I ask why you haven't drunk it in that time? Well, you know what? It's one of these things, again, where just as you said, if it's something expensive that's been gifted to you, we're going to save it for a special occasion. And it's like, right, we, there was the idea that he was actually going to open it on his 40th birthday when he was presented with it. But then it was that whole, no, we'll put it down and, you know, keep it for something else. We don't know what that something else has been. There's been like Christmases where we thought we'll have that. And it's like, mm, no, maybe Christmas isn't the occasion for it. So I'm going I'm to tell you two things now, Jules. The first thing is that good wine is not for good days. Good wine can be for bad days. In fact, why don't we just do that? It makes a bad day so much better. If you've got a tube of Pringles you want to have it with and it's feeling really bad and you, you both want to have something to lift your mood... That's the time to have it. The second thing is this. Uh, I did do a little bit of research on 1974 because I, a little bird did tell me you had this bottle. Can I read you what Decanter say about the 1974 vintage, which is a wine magazine and website? Do I need to stick my fingers in my, my ears? No, because <laughs> it'll be funny. Uh, snowy winter, late spring, hot and dry summer, mild autumn. Uh, wines were fairly firm and tannic with low acidity, but good, rich fruit, okay? That's all by the by. Mm. This was the killer line. This was a good medium-term drinking vintage, which should have all been drunk up by now. No! Now, I am sure that your bottle will still be fine, but Jules... You need to drink it. Oh, my goodness. What you're going to need to do, though, is quite carefully decant it and then drink it quickly because that wine is very fragile. Now it's 42 years old, however, however many years old. It will deteriorate immediately that you open it. So just very carefully but swiftly decant it, get that sediment, you know, leave the sediment in the bottom of the bottle and just drink it. So enough about wine storage. What we really want to know is how do you store your coffee perfectly? We've got coffees we've had for... No, no, don't say that. Years. No, no, no. no. Let's just listen to Scott and Jules. <laughs> 
What I would say, actually, on the whole, fresher is better with coffee. So what you'll find is that once the coffee has been roasted, it's essentially degassing. There's like, you know, carbon dioxide coming out of the beans and essentially it's going stale. So you really want to use coffee relatively quickly. And I would say within a few months. Now, the reason I say don't look at the best before date is because supermarkets, is where people buy their coffee a lot of the time, they essentially want to leave that on the shelf for as long a period of time as possible. But if you see a roasted date, you know when it was roasted, calculate three months off of that, and you're really in the sweet spot for, for coffee. Okay, so it's almost the opposite to wine. Good wine should develop and improve with age. Coffee is the opposite. So you're talking about even a really fine, really expensive coffee needs to be super fresh. Absolutely. And if I've got this lovely coffee that somebody's given me, what do I do with it? If I, you know, if I, if I want to, say I want to open, I, I get given it, I, I open it, make a cup of coffee or pot of coffee, and then I want to drink it over the next three months. What's the best way of looking after it? Okay, I'll tell you the, the, the worst thing that you could possibly do is to open it and leave it in your fridge. Can we just pause Ooh. there, Scott? So, Susie, um, you know, no, don't ask. No, don't okay. ask. All right. So that's something we absolutely do. We we open a yeah. nice bag of coffee that someone's given us. We make put a little one peg on it when we coffee. put we a little some, peg. Yeah, peg on it and put it in the fridge. And we leave it in the fridge for, and then we'll revisit it about six months later. Yep, when somebody comes around and wants yeah. a cup of coffee. Yeah, and then we'll do the, repeat the process probably for a couple of years. <laughs> Sorry. Firstly, if you can have whole bean rather than pre-ground, that's always better. Because as soon as you grind the coffee, you're exposing a large surface area for the oxygenation of that coffee. So if you can keep it whole bean, that's always going to be better. And, and the reason I always say, please don't put coffee in a fridge is because essentially a fridge is a moist atmosphere. And so the water gets into the coffee. Not only that, fridges are very smelly places. And you have a substance which is desperate to suck in water, suck in smells, and that's what it does. Now that you say that, I think our coffee has been tasting a bit of celery. And, but given clearly we've been drinking bad coffee for a while, you know, is it going to harm you? Or, and, and what's the signs of a stale coffee? What should we be looking out for? Freshness versus staleness. So essentially, stale coffee will taste flat. It will taste, you know, generic, very uninteresting. But this might explain why we haven't been so keen on coffee if we've just been drinking bad coffee for a long time. I think you're absolutely right. But if so, not keeping it in the fridge, just in a cupboard then, a dark... 100% airtight container if possible and, you know, just, just, just out of sunlight and a, an airtight container and you're, and you're pretty good to go. And actually, it's not that we haven't been drinking the right coffee. It's just that we may have been drinking the right coffee, but we've stored it wrong. Or just sort it for too long. Just try to keep it longer than it's really kind of, it's good for. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure uh, just ex experiencing just the, the, the different facets of, of wine. But my, my burning question that I have to ask, Susie, have we brought you over to the coffee side? Is this it? Is this a coffee revolution for you now? Do you know, this has been so fascinating and maybe more of a treat because I haven't drunk coffee for so long. I'm coming at it completely fresh and I will definitely, I promise you, add coffee into my drinking repertoire in the future. Yeah. Oh, 
There's a lot to learn. I think the one thing we know now is there's a lot to learn, but actually we're intrigued. So I think we'll go away and we'll start experimenting and having some fun with coffee. So thank you, guys. And do you know what? I might actually spend a bit more on some on wine now. I think, I think my £5 budget might have been bumped <laughs> to at least 10 and We love it. We Jules, love it. Jules obviously knows everything about wine, so you can ask her as well in the future. Guys, thank you so, so much for your time, for your expertise, and thank you very much for getting me very slightly tipsy. <laughs> Likewise, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. Now, I don't want to put this too strongly, but I think <laughs> we were hustled. <laughs> totally hustled. They saw us coming and they thought mugs. Coffee mugs. mugs. <laughs> Coffee <laughs> mugs. <laughs> um, you know... They claim to know nothing about wine, but I'm pretty convinced now that Jules is some sort of world expert on orange wine. <laughs> and Scott clearly puts away a fair bit of wine in his spare time too. Oh, I think, so, that's, that's I think you know, perhaps I think unfair. we were hustled. They're just we very hustled. fine tasters and we clearly don't <laughs> have is, a clue what we should be looking for when it comes to expensive yeah, well, speciality coffee. There is that explanation too, but I don't know. I prefer my version. Um, uh, it is an important thing to say, actually. You know, Even the cheap coffee in our defence wasn't Nescafe. There are other brands of um, there cheap are other coffee, brands available, obviously. but you know, do you know what I mean? It was yeah. still decentish. <laughs> it am was I, to us. Am I sort of no? I'm not. I'm, <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I, I clearly we just had no frame of reference whatsoever for what's good and bad in coffee. Yeah, which uh, is really interesting to know. Yeah, and, you know. and it was equally really interesting that in coffee, it's all about the what, the fruit and the brightness mm. and, and the sort of sweetness, isn't it? Um, and not what we might term complexity in wine, like the you know things yeah. like smokiness or woodiness or so tobacco. all those obvious things that we think exactly. of as being complex, or earthy characters, exactly. and so not good in coffee. That's, yeah. That was the opposite, wasn't it? Yeah. So you know, in coffee, it's all about preserving the fruit or the origin of the coffee bean. Yeah, and I think I think Scott said people prize the geisha coffee because it's almost tea-like, mm. where yeah. as we just found that a bit weirdly disconcerting. Yep. I mean, it wasn't what I would expect from coffee. No, but given you haven't yeah, drunk I mean, it for 30 years, I'm not sure what you were expecting. You know, a nice creamy <laughs> exactly. latte. What was that? Was that your drink of choice? That's all I ever used to drink anyway. Massive milky yeah. latte. Yeah. Not sure that oh, classic coffee, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not but the right I, person I, mean, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. We definitely need to up our coffee game, uh, especially, you know, when it comes to geisha, stuff like mm. that. Anyway, mm. um, that's all quite exciting, I, I bet think. it is with geishas you know, involved, yeah. <laughs> and it's a new thing to be able to learn about, isn't it? You know, building on our newfound enthusiasm, courtesy of Scott, Scott and Jules, so mm. thanks, guys. Um, talking of which, uh, I hope I wasn't too harsh on Jules when it came to her 1974 Barolo. You were mean. I Was think I? you may just have broken oh. her heart, to be honest. Mm. Um, and sorry, sorry to Ian too, frankly. <laughs> um, but, it, but it does serve as a good reminder, we all need to drink our special bottles, yeah, not just true. keep waiting for a special occasion that mm. may never come. And I say that as much to ourselves as to anyone, mm. frankly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. plus that way, you don't have to worry too much about storage then, do you? <laughs> That's it's gone. Good point. You just drink it. Drink our special bottles. Drink That's them. A good drink them. Drink them. Well, drink them know. up. Um, that said, we did do an episode on building a wine collection at home, didn't we? We did. Uh, we did, uh, we know, did. Series, series two, episode, two. Episode 12, wasn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And, and we, 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 we were also doing a pretty good job of building a coffee collection at home, largely <laughs> in the fridge, before Scott <laughs> told us off. So I can confirm that there is yeah. no longer coffee in our fridge. We know mm. that fresher is better and you can't have open bags in there for six months. Are you saying that to yourself? I am. I'm you saying are, that. I'm okay. saying that to You've myself. You chided yourself. I'm I am glad indeed. To hear that. Yeah, we, All we, we, wrong. We will All be wrong. Better. Sorry, Scott. We, we can be better than this. Sorry. So thanks, Scott. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, as for degassing, mm. what a great word. 
love that term. <laughs> we love that Can we get that into wine summer? This is a degas. There wine. is. This is a no degassing zone. <laughs> to be honest, I'm sorry. Degas is how I feel most mm. of the time these days. Mm. Um, so that's I might incorporate into my into my vocabulary <laughs> that way. Anyway, on that bombshell, it's oh, time to dear. wrap things up. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this slight departure from our usual program. Uh, we'll be returning to normal service very soon, touching on both Burgundy and Bordeaux. Do check out Adventures in Coffee. It's an absolutely brilliant podcast and mm. they are mm. lovely people and they're also doing a listener survey right now so you could ask them to cover more wine yeah. possibly yeah. or maybe you'd like to hear how that 1974 barolo tasted yeah. who yeah. knows have I you would. drunk it yet jules yeah. anyway we'll put a link to adventures in coffee in our show notes yeah we'll also put details of all the wines and the coffees in the show notes too um, thanks again to majestic for the wines also to origin coffee roasters for the venue thanks to jules scott and producer james also for his piano tinkling which is brilliant very multi-talented james uh, and of course thanks to you for listening until next time cheers, cheers.